have to get something into upbeat here. You know, we go from half the people are gone tonight, aren't they? <laughs> and well, you can see on your outline we're still there, but we're gonna we're gonna get right on into grace though too. So there we go. <laughs> the most depraved need need this the most, right? You know we are. Yeah, and that's the thing. This is the part everybody wants to skip. And how you understand what you need is through scriptures, right? You know God personally by scriptures. What you know about man and his fallenness is through scripture. And what you know about sin is because of scripture. And what you know about judgment is because of scripture. And what you know about grace is because of scripture. And so uh, what you know about salvation comes from Scripture. <laughs> now, natural revelation can be helpful, but uh, it leads to an unknown God. When you think of the uh, the Athenians and Athens, they uh, knew something about an unknown God. But that's, <laughs> but that's about as far as it can get. Uh, it's helpful, but um, you have to have written revelation. And so, anyway, when we study Genesis, we have specific supernatural revelation. And it shows us that we are studying real history. This is real. really happened. Even though it's thousands of years before. And it reveals that humanity uh, is wicked to the core and its wickedness has continued to manifest itself all the way till our time. And it's continually degraded. <laughs> it's bad enough in chapter 6 and then we look at it in, uh, in our times. And here it is. How do you think it could get any worse? Is is today worse? It's uh, <laughs> definitely manifested, isn't it? Well, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the this day that you've given us, uh, beautiful sunshine, and just uh, another way that you've shown your great uh, grace in uh, letting us just take in what you have uh, created. And uh, Lord, may we know you. Uh, not only through your creation, but also through your specific revelation of your Word of God. And as we study it, that it would uh, conform us more to be uh, like you in the way that you've designed. And we thank you that you do that. Your Holy Spirit does a great work. And uh, as we study this tonight, that he will reveal into our hearts uh, a little more knowledge of who you are. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. Well, and uh, we looked at uh, the corruption of all of the wickedness and all the sinfulness of mankind last week. And you can have all the adjectives and all the adverbs that you want. And the thing is that we can definitely see it's absolutely inclusively depraved. And uh, the uh, emphatic words here that we see, for instance, in verse 5, wickedness, um, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so God is sorry, uh, says he's going to blot out man. Um, then he comes back, says the earth was corrupt, down in verse 11. Earth was filled with violence. In verse 12, God looked at it and saw how corrupt it was. And it was corrupted all the way uh, throughout the earth. And so, uh, and, and verse 13, the earth is filled with violence. And so he has to destroy the earth. Pretty, uh, pretty emphatic. And the extent of uh, depravity here is demonstrated. And it's not just the behavior of man. Uh, we saw that last week. It's, 
it's the very heart of man is where it's really problem, and and it's the very form. It takes the form of um, uh, his viewpoints and his mind and the way that he thinks. It forms up, and that's who he is and what he's about. So it extends to every human being and goes to the heart of every human being that's ever been born all the time and only that unless we're rescued. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. <laughs> well, that sounds like it, that's taken too far, but that's the way it is. And then on top of that, if you take it back and we see that all this is aggravated even by the union with the demons, if that be the case. And this is what the Lord is seeing. Of course, you know, he knows it's all going on anyway. He knows it beforehand. But um, th- guess what? This is what he still sees. <laughs> I mean, he sees the same stuff. And he hasn't put a judgment on it yet. But uh, kind of interesting, the earth was filled with violence. That's, that's one of the uh, descriptions there. And the word literally means abusing others. Uh, it's a general lawlessness. It is definitely going against the law, but it can mean a general lawlessness in the Old Testament, but it usually means that um, people are hating each other. They hate each other. And so people just continually, back at that time, lived in conflict with each other. Can you imagine that? Huh. Hmm. What people is that? Well, we don't know anything like that. You really You don't have to look too hard to just experience this, do you? It's there. So chapter 6 still exists today. So what does God feel like because of this? We see what he saw in verse 5, verse 11 and 12. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. Uh, Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. Catch what's going on there. Verse 12, God looked on the earth. What did He see? (laughs) Now we get to see Him feeling things. Um, What did He feel like because of this? Well, verse 6 says, the Lord was sorry that He made man on the earth and He was grieved in His heart. Verse 7, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. So we see that he's sorry, he's grieving over what, uh, what is going on. He felt sadness. You know, now here's, here's a God who actually has feelings. You know, it's, uh, he's putting it in a way that we can understand, um, you know, uh, it's not like that he's led by his feelings, but he felt grief over what man had become. And I have to think whenever um, uh, Jesus was here on the earth and Lazarus died and then he came back three days later and he wept. And matter of fact, he grieved because not only, you know, Lazarus had died, but he knows he's going to resurrect him. Or not really resurrecting, but resuscitating, bringing back to life for a little while. Um, and so, but wouldn't you think it's because of because of the sin of mankind? Even though he loves Lazarus and he loves the ladies that are there, all the people that love him, but the sadness that the fact that mankind has to go through some pretty tough suffering, and so he feels that. 
you know, for him. You know, and Jesus being in that human sense, you know, he definitely identified with us. It's good to know we have a God that that does that. So, you know, he's speaking here in a human term. You could say it's an anthropomorphism. Should I write that one down? Do you guys remember that one? I bet I bet I've stumbled over that before. But I'll write it like this. Can you guys see that? Is there no work? <laughs> I just I didn't look beforehand, but it's okay. Anthro is what? Man? Man. And morph is what? Hmm. So he changed himself to be like man or something that man could understand. He he gets on their level, so he sees, he he feels, God is sad. Uh he was sad so that he was sorry that he probably made man on earth too <laughs> that he even created him. And he will kinda of like say that here in a second, but um, that word sorry in there it almost sounds like God thought he made a mistake. And which I'm just like yeah. I wonder if that's the best translation word. Probably about as good as you can get it, uh, in the sense of and that's what's good about an anthropomorphism <laughs> because He's saying something that we can relate to. Yeah, in one sense, he's, it's like he is saying, I'm sorry, and it's almost like he's changing his mind. And we'll get to a few verses that deals with God changing his mind, but then he can't change his mind because he's a God that doesn't change. Uh, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so, now this is a wet erase. Okay. Is it a fine point? Well, we're all up close. Well, there was some stuff on there, and then they got that graffiti removed. You don't know how to spell that. Anthropomorphism. Is that pretty good? Okay. All right, good job. You got it. Take a chance. I was hoping you really wouldn't come up with that because I didn't. Well, that was the main. Trying to take it out. And you did good. Yeah. That's a neat pen. I like that. Yeah, see if that eraser works on it. Ooh. <laughs> oh. It's it was a wet erase, so I'll get a wet cloth when we're done. All right. All right. I just wanted to. this one up? Yeah. I just wanted to. That that that. Oh, you can take. Yeah, you can put water on that. Other side. Yeah. Oh, other side. Yeah, try that what? side. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to worry about it. We'll uh, get that later. <laughs> Come on, don't worry about it. Say they were kindergarten. No, this is the. Let's see. This is first and second. Oh, they ought to have that down. Yeah, so they should. They have that down there. Zach, Zach is coming to the rescue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. We got a half an M up there. That's that okay. Anthropomorphous. Yeah. (laughs) Do we? If we had, if I put another M up there, then we'd have an M and M. Keep one in. Okay. Well, I would leave it up there and let the teachers ask the person playing graduate. <laughs> yeah, and it's the answer, and then the teacher goes, "Well, well I don't know what it means." There's one that might know what it means too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of your commentaries, uh, Carmela would say that this is what he is saying. Uh, he's so sad. Uh, he was so sorry, so sad that he made man on earth. Uh, but yet he knew all along what was going to happen. Is it, and is, it, is it more like grief, grieving? It, it is a real grief thing. I think it's a way of relating. This is how I mean. He really—it's like God feels things. He's not a God that is 
so far off that doesn't feel we were made in the image of God and we were given mind the mind which is God has a mind you know he's a thinking intelligent God right uh, he, he has the will he has a will right God does things that you know, and the emotions are there so God does feel things I think that shows it there uh, God can feel uh, in a sense of disappointment but at the same time we know that God is a God of joy all the time and so he can have all of those things, uh, I've, the horrors that happen. How could he just sit back and go, huh, it's all right. It's okay. Well, it, I don't it's, feel it. Back to being a father, or like I said, a parent, you will always love that child, but you can watch those kids do things, and there's a grieving that goes on of disappointment in them, but you don't, you don't hate them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. That. I mean that's that kind of so it's kind of relating like 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 a father would right, with yeah. with his children, but here here in this sense we know that he's going to have to judge right. them. Remember, he made the uh, the pristine holy place of Eden, you know, perfect environment, and now he looks at where they're really at. He's got a feel uh, for what what has happened, but that's what happens with sin. Yeah, God was not surprised. He is not tied to surprise at all. You read my mind over here? You read my notes. No. <laughs> right, but that's that's exactly right. He's not surprised. Jesus with Lazarus and that always just baffled me. Why why would he cry? I mean he was gonna raise Lazarus. Why would he cry? And someone it might have been you mentioned that he was Sad because of the sadness of the people. Mary and Martha were. Everybody was so brokenhearted, and you know, I mean, even even if you, you know, have other knowledge, it's it's hard to watch people hurt. That's right. So even though he's God, but he was fully man, and he definitely felt the impact of that sadness, even though he. Yeah, it's hard to grasp, though, isn't it? Well, in yeah. a way, I thought his funerals where I didn't know the person that had passed away, but the, the grieving of the family made me cry. Mm-hmm. I, I just mm. felt their grief. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know them. Yeah, they, you knew they were having to go through a, a, a rough time. Well, and if yeah. you've been through it, too. Yeah. The first funeral I went to of somebody's mother after my own mother died, I was a basket case. I ended up leaving early because I thought, I'm too anemic this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to encourage, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what what brought on death, though? It was just like 1,600 years or something of that nature before this is you know when sin came in. But we know His holiness demands destruction, judgment, it's necessary, it's inevitable, it's going to have to happen. Uh, God is a God of perfect justice and uh, He cannot wink upon any kind of sin. So He's always consistent with who He is. He's a holy God. And He he has no choice to punish sin in some manner or form. Of course, knowing Christ, isn't that great to know that our sin was punished there? Um, but it brings Him grief that um, He has to even judge it. You know, in that sense, bringing that thought. So we saw what the Lord saw there. Now we've seen what the Lord has felt, the grief. Um, uh, 
I think it's extreme terms here as we as we think about God saying it's it's almost like I wish that I wish people never existed. <laughs> um, he's truly grieved. Uh, God is immutable, and at the same time, uh, he um, even though he is not going to change, he does make a way, um, and he does give forgiveness of sins, but he doesn't ever accept an excuse for sin. And so, anyway, um, demands destruction. Let's look at this thing about um, God changing His mind. It's almost like, okay, I made them, and now I'm sorry that I did. And it sounds like, huh, I didn't know what this was going to happen. And we say, well, no, it's not because he, he was surprised. So, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, look in First Samuel, uh, chapter 15. Get a little bit of an idea of the character of God. Fifteen eleven. Yeah, fifteen eleven. Uh, verse well, verse ten. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, Samuel's prophet, saying, "I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands." And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Well, right there we have God saying, I regret that I make Saul king. It's almost like he's saying, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> but he's all-knowing, so it can't be that. So there we get into what would be equivalent to uh, an anthropomorphism. And, and he, you know, he lets Saul do his action. He didn't make Saul sin. He doesn't want Saul to sin. He never wants man to sin, does he? Exodus. Exodus 32. Going back to the time of Moses. Learning a little bit about the character of God here, aren't we? 32.14. Just this one verse. So the Lord changed His mind about the harm which He said He would do to His people. God gives the... Ten Commandments to Moses. Did you guys see that movie this week? Oh, okay. I saw Charlton Heston come down there. wasn't like what I thought whenever I used to watch, I used to watch it as a kid. It's, it's a little different now. You know, all the effects that they have these days. And You look there and you can studio. And it wasn't quite as awesome. It was almost old. It used to be awesome. Yeah. It used to be in the IMAX. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the IMAX might have helped out well, a little bit. The version says, and the Lord relented. Yeah, Relent. What is yours? Close to the same thing. Changed his mind. It's like he had one thing set forth. He was going to judge him. The golden calf uh, sees that. And now Moses is going to um, entreat the Lord. And um, you know he's you know he intercedes for them. Remember that he's he's the great priest. Moses is for them, and God then changes his mind. Uh, he's not going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. He said, "Well, wait a minute. I thought God doesn't change his mind. He can say I can bring forth a judgment, but he can withhold that judgment. Eventually, he gives them the, gives them judgment anyway. They all wind up dying out in the desert." But um, the the thing is, he can grant mercy. He can intervene and bring that in when he wants. 
uh, and at the same time be true to himself and not lie or change. Uh, let's take a few more verses and see if that can uh, be helpful. By the way, do you remember uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember Abraham? And Abraham is interceding. Uh, how about 50 people, Lord? Uh, save those in Sodom and Gomorrah. And this, uh, about 40. Well, maybe... <laughs> would you do it for 30? <laughs> God was going to come into judgment, and but we see that God there relented from making a total uh, wipeout there. But there's somebody interceding. So we see how intercession and prayer comes into play too. And say, well, God is sovereign. God is going to do what He's going to do, so why even pray? No, man's prayer and intercession is important just as Christ's intercession was important. He is the priest, the mediator, the interceder. And so we pray too. And it's you know we ourselves are not going to change God's mind. We're going to find out what His will is. And ultimately, His will is always good, isn't it? But it, it, it's it's almost like, what, what is this? It's two things here that seem to be uh, opposing. But they're not. Uh, Jeremiah 26.3 Perhaps they will listen, and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may repent, or your version might have relent, right? of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. He has to judge. And that is, you know, he has to be a just God. So he's planning to bring that on. But there he's, it's almost like he's giving warning. Hey, listen, you know, if you turn from your evil, I may relent, I may repent, I may change my mind about this is what I'm planning to do here. So there is something that I'm planning to do, but he's saying at the same time, I could keep from doing that. So You know what he's doing the whole time? Matter of fact, for 120 years after he tells Moses, uh, it's still 120 years that they are given warnings. All the time while Noah is building the boat, he's a preacher of righteousness. And those people could have changed their mind about God. If they didn't, God had to come on and then eventually do it. He is ever a merciful God. And the wickedness, how terrible it was there in Genesis 6, and yet He's still offering mercy and grace, His love. I mean, this is quite a God, isn't He? He could have just zapped them all right there. But there's always that intercession there too. Look in Amos. Oh, somewhere around Daniel, right? How many times do we turn to Amos? Not too often. You know what? That's pretty close to mine. Mine's 1257. Really? Not bad. Uh, seven three. Look at that. Here we go again. The Lord changed His mind about this. What's that? Relented. Seven three, and then seven six. Just drop down there. The Lord changed His mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Um, so there's God changing His mind about judgment again. He's done it. Many times, and then we look at that immutability of God. Oh, that's there. There's a word. We know we can erase this off here. So, oh, good theological term. Big, long, fancy two thousand dollar word that means he can't change his mind. <laughs> Doesn't change his mind. 
Malachi 3 6. Malachi, yeah. Malachi. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. There, it shows that here, here's a God that um, doesn't change, and uh, he's a he's a just God, and he will judge. And um, people would say, well, you know, he's unfair, but he has been mercifully patient for many years. Go to James one seventeen. The immutability of God. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. What does that mean? He doesn't change. No variation. No changing. I mean, He's a God you can count on, right? There is nothing there where he's wishy-washy on certain elements. Yeah, you know he's a really good God, but there's some areas that he's a little weak on. You know, <laughs> no, he's God that you can count on, and he does from uh, our perspective as we look into the heavens, we see lights up there in the sky, right? And of course, they move around, or we move around. What's going on? Everything's moving around, isn't it? Uh, all sorts of different rotations and directions and day and night, but God doesn't work in that element. He's changeless. You know, he's always solid. Uh, oh, Hebrews 13.8. Everybody knows this one. I think I probably said it a while ago. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. He's always been that way. Always will be. Always is now. Uh, let's go uh, back to Numbers 23.19. We're just... Floating all over the place here tonight. I put them in a an organizational way, didn't I? <laughs> Twenty-three, nineteen, and we're doing books that we don't usually go to, so we get an exercise here tonight. God is not a man that he should lie. Man lies, then I guess. Yeah. Nor a son of man. You know, he's not man that he should repent or what do you have? Relent. Here we have changed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> These translations. <laughs> right out of the Old Testament. Same, same word though, isn't it? Yes. Same idea. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Of course, he always is that way. He is a God who does not change. Psalm 33.11 The immutability of God. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Okay. Uh, I think there are probably two words here that might really help us here. And again, we'll probably have a little bit of anthropomorphic sense here, but uh, one thing you have intentions of God, and another one are the decrees of God. When He decrees something, 
It'll always come about. Every time. He will never change His decrees. Um, He's decreed you to be part of the family of God. He's brought you in. That will never change. No matter what (laughs) your performance is, that cannot, will not ever change. That's, and that's God's decrees. Who He is. His his character cannot change in any element whatsoever. But there's another word here, intentions. And it's not like, oh, I had intentions, but... uh, And and it's playing on on a sense that, you know, we have intentions, but they don't always come out. And we don't even start to decree things, do we? Uh, not the way that God does, but um, He has things on His mind, like judgment to come, but He can change that if He so desires, or at least the timing on it. Um, if He's going to judge it, and he, he, and he decrees that judgment, and no matter what, sometimes you'll see those kind of judgments. And, and there, we know there's going to be a judgment on this world again. There was a decree on the judgment on, on the flood. But he still offered it to people even within that time. So these can seem to, to, to maybe have some change as far as God is concerned where he relents or repents. He relents that he ever made man. Um, but in another sense, or, or, or to withhold a judgment, um, but this is something where we know that he doesn't ever change. And the only reason he would change is to withhold his um, judgment, and which is probably going to be for a later time, ultimately, anyway. So, if that helps, that helps make it that. That shows you that He's a good and gracious God. He is very patient in in those. Here, ultimately, this is going to come about even after He's been very, very patient and merciful. Now, so we've seen what God felt and uh, and what he what He saw. We saw that earlier, and then we see in Genesis six seven what he said 6-7 says uh, the Lord said there we go I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky for I am sorry that I have made them well he did blot them out but we do find verse 8 fortunately so there we see a God. He has a decree that is going to come about. The judgment is going to happen. But yet, He doesn't wipe them out totally. As He would say here, I will blot out man. I'm just going to take man and take him all out. But we see also in, in that same section, the same paragraph in my version, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Ah, boy. That, getting into the nature and character of God is right incredible, isn't it? Um Drop down to verse 13. I'm still in one of these weird modes where it's it's kind of hard to outline. <laughs> Y'all are doing it again this week, aren't I, Barb? That's all right. We're keeping it. Do you see why I'm doing this? Yeah. Then God said. And we see where God saw. And we saw God felt. Now we're looking at God said. Now in, uh, in verse 13, we can see that, well, this is something He spoke to Noah. Uh, in the other one where he said the Lord said, I would tend to think that could be to Noah also, but it doesn't say God said it. He could have been saying it to himself. The, the triune God is speaking here. Or he could related this to Noah and then you know he said, I'm giving you favor. But anyway, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Uh, so the word... Uh, 
there he, he said. He speaks to reveal what he wants to say. What he's going to say here, um, and like I say, I, I think it's probably through Noah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How come he destroyed the beasts and the creeping things and the birds of the air? He's talking to destroy them because of the sin of man? Can yeah, he's, of course, he's going to keep, and whenever he starts, he's, it's almost like he's going to start fresh. Of course, we know it two by two and keeps keeps them um, um, them saved, just like mankind. Um, but why he would take all those out? Well, a flood is going to... Uh, destroy unless unless you save all of them, you put them all into the ark. You mean have to build two arks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe another one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. My taking. I mean, I don't know this, but I'm just looking at the fact that the animals and the plants and everything was taken out. Now we've got all those fossils to look back as proof of the flood. Yep. We have proof, don't we? Pretty incredible thing. Amazing that we can kind of go back and see that. As a matter of fact, all of those layers, you know, the so-called layers of millions of years, uh, all just uh, really, it, it really is not those layers that what science is saying or schools are saying, but they happened at once. But did he make those things for enjoyment? Is that why he destroyed them? Because then if man's going to be destroyed, then those things don't need to exist. Well, the flood is just going to just take everything out. Okay. Um, I mean, he I mean, he could have saved them. He could have saved them in a supernatural way. I, I but just wonder if you ever heard any, you know, any more. Yeah, the birds, they're not going to have anything, you know... Uh, to, to, to eat, uh, uh, you know, even if they fly out for a long time, how long can they keep flying? You know, there's nothing to land upon. But then there was a dove, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Came from somewhere. Well, it, was on, <laughs> it was on the earth. That's right. Yeah, landed right there, right? No, it was on there. Or yeah, it came no, from there. Yeah, he had right. it in the earth and he would let it loose. To and then let him, let him go. So there wasn't anything else out there flying around, right? Which brings you to the Bill Wise question: Did the fish die? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, he said that kept him awake at night. Some of them did because in the fossil record we see layers of mm-hmm. a lot. Of, so some of them did. Mm-hmm. But how many? We we don't really know. But it must have been. I, I would imagine a cataclysmic event like that probably destroyed a lot of them. Like earth, there was like uh, not earthquakes, the earthquakes, but then like a lot of things were being pushed up out of the, the earth of the deep. Oh, the bottoms of the deep were being pushed up and for mm-hmm. lava and stuff like that. So I'm sure it got hot, too hot for them too. Mm-hmm. And when yep. when it, when Auschwitz had yeah. to come back down, down crushed down. And right, we can have probably caught some little guys. Well, Interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, and that, this is setting us up because uh, we're getting right into the time of the flood. I guess that's probably right next, isn't it? I will blot out man. That word for blot, um, it means to erase something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't erase anything well, here tonight, he, he erased, but if I had the, the little rag. Yeah. <laughs> the water did it, didn't it? <laughs> Magic water. <laughs> um, are you anywhere near Numbers? Numbers 5.23? That word is used again, blot out. God uses that term uh, a few times in the Old Testament. 
Numbers 5.23. Sometimes in a negative way and sometimes in a positive way. Here's a negative one. The priest shall then write these curses on a scroll and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness. So the, what do you have there? Uh, and he'll wash them. Wash them off. That's the idea. That's, that's blotting out there. A washing off. A uh, priest will wash those off. So the same idea. It's washing something off, literally removing it off. It's, you know, it's been there. Now it's been taken off. Exodus uh, chapter 32, verse 32. 32-32. That's that same golden calf chapter. What's that? 32. 32. 32. <laughs> yeah. But uh, now, if you will forgive their sin, this is Moses speaking, and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. Wow, Moses. So if you're not going to, uh, you know, if you're not going to come in and, and uh, take care of this God, then you're going to, have to blot me out also. If you're going to do that with all of them, blot me out. Just wash me out of it. Hmm. Quite an, uh, an interceder there. And uh, we, we saw the result of it, though, uh, even though it sounds strange. That, what about verse 33? Yeah. Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. I <laughs> uh, wonder what Moses did with that one. You guys sin against me, Erasing words out of a book, wiping them off, washing them off. Um, now let's go to Isaiah 43, 25. 43:25. I, even I, am the one who. Here we go. Wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember. There we go. Blots out your transgressions. That's the word. That's that Hebrew word. That's it. Blot pretty well says it, doesn't it? I like that. I'll not remember your sins. Takes the sin away. Chapter forty-four, twenty-two. I like that word. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud, your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. He keeps, you keep changing words. We keep getting blot. Blot. You got the word blot. And that's the word we're looking for, isn't it? I wonder you know, why I wasn't able to find that. <laughs> Jeremiah 18. Let's see what you have there. 18.23. Yet you, O oh Lord, know all their deadly designs against me. Do not forgive their iniquity. Well, I'm looking for my word. My word is there. Or blot out their sin from your sight. 18 what? 23. Hey, all right, we agree, all right? Everybody's got blot that time? Have you been blotted? Tw- uh, Jeremiah 18, 23. Oh, 17. I 
So it's it's in a positive way when he blots out sin. Uh, then it's in a negative way where he has to blot out the name out of the books. Of course, in Revelation we have the same kind of thing. The names are taken out. Uh, people will be taken off that list. And so we'll go back to Genesis 6. And um, we see that uh, the end is of the earth as they knew it at that time was going to come about. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And so, what did God do? We see in verse 13, He said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. All right, one more passage to go to. Ecclesiastes 8.11. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're going to cover every book in the Bible tonight. Just kidding. <laughs> cover a few. 8.11, right? Okay. Ecclesiastes. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. I know I looked this up. Where's this at? Well, okay. Uh, this is this is right. It's dealing with. Uh, I thought it was more clear than that. But uh, evil deeds, God will judge them. God will execute quickly. Although, and then he says in verse 12, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, I mean, he may live for a long time, he might not have that judgment at that time, uh, but it will happen. You know, God has to punish sin. <clears throat> Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote that God and sin are eternal incompatibilities. <laughs> eternal incompatibilities, if I can say that. He will punish individuals, he will punish groups, he will punish cities, he will punish nations. <laughs> He'll punish the whole globe, the whole world, the whole earth, whenever he knows that iniquity is has filled it. So, why did all this happen? Well, people preoccupied with themselves, with their physical appetites, with their materialistic attitudes, with their own self-interest, devotion to pleasure, rebellion against God, unbelief, Corruption, violence, look at all the words that you see there in Genesis 6. They even communed with Satan. Uh, all the blasphemy. You can imagine against God. And there it is, Noah's preaching things of righteousness and that there's judgment. And they just uh, laughed at him and uh, made fun of him. And why would people in this world today think they're going to escape this? The standards haven't changed the same situation. And Jesus said something like that, didn't He? It'll be like that as in the days of Noah. Warning is there. Doesn't it just make you long for heaven? Yes, it does. Because of all this terrible... It makes you grieve. <laughs> it makes you feel sorry for all the sin that is around. I mean, I, I can't wait till the day I die. I'm going to have to. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of one of those things like Paul said, you know, uh, I I live here and God can use me here, 
but uh, I wouldn't mind being with the Lord too, right in His presence. You know, but I'm I'm here now because I'm going to to serve Him. But Lord, you can come back anytime. <laughs> come quickly. All right, now the good part. Genesis six. We've seen that the story of the Bible is sin, but it's also the history of grace. And we see this pattern throughout all of the Bible. And you see it right in Genesis, and you'll see it in Exodus and Leviticus, and on and on and on, all the way through Revelation. It's the same pattern all the way over and over and over and over and over. God is very, very good. He is very holy. He has to judge sin. He will judge sin. But He offers grace and mercy. He keeps doing that. Yeah, a black picture of sin right here. We look at our times. Black picture of sin. Man's rebellion against God. And black thunderclouds are hanging over. I mean, it looks dark and threatening. And a small crack appears. A light comes through, right? It's grace. A new day dawns. How many times have you seen those dark, dark clouds? And you've seen them for days and no sunshine. And all of a sudden, you see through there some light that's coming through and you know it's coming strong. Yeah, a rainbow. Quite the promise. Yep. Did you know that actually this is the first time that God's grace is mentioned in the Bible? Now, that's not that He hasn't practiced grace, right? He's done, he's done it with Adam and Eve already from the very moment that they sinned. And of course, He covered them and He, he granted them faith and there was repentance there and but um, yeah, kept Cain. Come on, you know. Look, what's here for you? Uh, there's always opportunity, no matter how sinful they are, and usually they don't take God's hand. Noah didn't earn it, but he did find it. Verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or the Word is grace. It's not that he worked for it. Isn't that funny? I always assumed that Noah was the only good guy. I always assumed that Noah must have been a good guy. And what was he? He was just probably another guy. Yeah. Just like the rest of them. That's That's right. Wow. That's exactly right. Wow. God said, okay, I've got to keep this going. I'm going to use Noah. I'm going to zap him. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And we'll see the procedure as it goes through here, what happens whenever he is granted to be that. He was just, you know, he could have been wound up having the same judgment that they had. Uh, This is a story of faithful endurance uh, of Noah. Definitely God too, but it's... uh, it's uh, right in the midst of great wickedness. Um, Noah is the last descendant in the line of Noah or uh, Adam and Seth. And, and when Noah was born, there were six of his ancestors still living. I remember, I think there were like ten all the way up to Noah, starting with Adam. When he was born, there were still six of them uh, are um, still living, I guess. Yeah, um, I don't. So I, Adam didn't meet Noah, but he was awfully close, awfully close to him. I think we we had that number um, back a few weeks ago. 
Does, it, does that make sense there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the flood came in 1656. We had uh, looked at something pretty close to there. If you add those numbers up in Genesis, but uh, that being the case, um, Noah. I mean, Adam lived up to 900 and something. It was 500 years when he had his first son, Noah. 600 years old whenever the flood came. Right? Yeah. Enoch would have been preaching. At the, uh, Enoch preaching would still be remembered about the judgment. You know, there's going to be judgment coming on the ungodly. On the ungodly, you know, and then Jude, you know about that that verse. Methuselah, whose name means when he is gone, it will come. Whenever Methuselah died in that year, the flood came. So just just that itself, it would have been in Noah's thoughts. Uh, Lamech was the father of Noah. Noah, um, we know, was a godly man. And... Lamech was a godly man because of God, granting him grace. Noah means comfort or rest. Now think about it. A wicked generation, very sinful, and there's a name of comfort or rest. Lamech names him Noah, and he knew how hard it was to toil and work and labor, and he didn't live... To 90 years old and have to do that. Most people, you know, retire and then boom, they don't have to work anymore, right? You know, (laughs) but can you imagine having to live for 900 plus years and still having to work and work hard because sin has done this? They had better bodies when we started out. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep working day after day, working hard, working hard. Of course, their bodies were more strong. The, the wrinkles. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure they only came along with it. But you have to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 and 8, and here's where Noah comes in, and Lamech and all those guys, and us too. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. This is Israel. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord, it doesn't change, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Oh, there's the Passover story. <laughs> At this Passover week. Yeah. <laughs> Next year in Jerusalem. Ah, the Lord loved you. The Lord lo- That's the reason He did it. He loved, He picked out Noah, loved him. I mean, that's, he loved him and that's, you know, there it is. Noah found favor. He was a sinner. He was a sinner before the flood. He was a sinner after the flood. <laughs> we know about that. That's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty terrible little story. You know, he had to get in on there. You know, uh, but he escaped the wrath. He re- escaped the judgment. 
you turn to Hebrews 11 and you find out that he's in the hall of faith. Yeah. Well, he had to be. I mean, he had to believe God somewhere along the line because he built the ark. That's exactly right. And he preached. Preached righteousness. Oh, there's judgment coming. What's that? Did God talk directly to Noah? I would tend to think that he just spoke to him. But those other guys were probably preaching too, right? So that's what I was trying to get back to. So how many like Lamech and such? Yeah, perfect guys because on that thing that you gave us, on this thing that you gave us, it shows that there were six guys, and they all died. But they were all Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch got to go. Methuselah and Lamech. And they were all preaching too, right? Mm -hmm. So Noah wasn't doing it. They knew, and a lot of those guys knew Adam. Right. Probably living right there with him at the same time for hundreds of years. So they knew the truth, and and uh, that was the godly line that God used. See, I never even I never put that together before that they were out there doing that. Yeah, I didn't either. No, was out there by his own lungs himself, trying to muster up for a good little Noah. Yeah. And Methuselah, <laughs> he was a good guy. <laughs> what does Methuselah do? I, whether he says anything or not, it's just what's your name? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. He hadn't seen any rain before. In reverence, in awe, in worship, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Not by any of his works here, but it was faith. Where does faith come from? Faith is granted. That was Hebrews 11, 7. So, 11, 7. if Moses would have tarried into doing the job, I guess he, he wasn't going to. God slap it together. <laughs> by then, he made a judgment on the world by doing what he was told to do. And, and uh, what an example. You right? said Moses, you meant Noah. I mean, no, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I've been saying Adam for Noah, Noah for Adam. Yeah. 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 Noah. So by doing that, he put the judgment there. And he believed God. And out of reverence, you know, he just, I, I love that, you know, in, in worship, he prepared an ark. You know, he worshiped God as he's building this. His life was a, a, a matter of worship. And that's what our lives are about. Worshiping God, his faith, just believing God was a, a, a condemnation upon all the other people as they didn't believe him. Well, and think of how all the other people thought he was nuts. Just like, <laughs> just like oh. today, they think we're you know Jesus freaks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Why are you wasting all that time to do that? But because we know something that's that's better. But it, but it's all because of grace. If grace was based on anything in us, it would not be grace. Uh, just to finish that real quick. Grace leads to righteousness, and uh, Noah is called righteous. Yeah, we. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. We have 15 more minutes. Uh, look at this. Noah was a righteous man. Why was he righteous? He was blameless, also, right? His righteousness was as a result of receiving favor. If it starts with grace. A true Christian is going to have what? Righteousness. 
And then He will also act that out. He will do that. Grace comes there before it and you'll have obedience out of it. Obedience always comes there. And He's blameless. That, I think that would be to the people as they watch on and they look upon Him, the watching world. He's blameless. They couldn't blame Him. <laughs> Even though they, they probably try to make up things or whatever, but they made fun of Him. So He's righteous because of the grace. He's blameless because of grace. Verse 9 says that He walked with God. Who else walked with God? That was Enoch, right? And Enoch walked with God and just left. Noah walks with God and goes right on through the judgment, you know, untouched. And the more became, I think the more he became aware of sin that was around him, the closer he probably walked with God. Does that make sense with us? The more we see sin, just like Barb said a while ago, the more you see how sinful the world is, and even ourselves are losing battles sometimes, Oh, it'd be so much better to be in the presence of God, wouldn't it? But we walk with Him now, even more so. We see that sin and we hate it more than we did five years ago. We hate it. I just hate this sin. I hate my sin. I hate that sin that's going on out in the world. You know. But you know what? Our faces are going to shine when we live into the holy of holies, and ultimately, uh, right there before Him, we're going to be shining. But even right now. Uh, we're shining, shining as lights, uh, because of our communion with God. And so, you know, the the whole point of this judgment can be escaped only by God's grace. Eight people out of possibly billions. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yeah. The visual imagery that He gives there is us just dangling over this. He hit this abyss and just merely because of his pleasure does he not let go and let us fall in. It's just everybody. And I think sometimes we don't realize how right there on the edge we are. If we don't have Christ as our net, our ark. Smell the smoke in the right. (laughs) Doesn't it make you thankful? Because of that great grace. Because that's that's a good way to look at it. That's it the way it is. That's what leaves me in the most awe of everything is that because of nothingness that you did add to do with that that you might think is a fact. You know, that's why I did it. Why did he 